The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. Before any of that, though, we're going to kick things off as we will every day from here on in with our afternoon update, catching you up on all that has happened today, the stories that matter most. And joining me for it uh, today for the afternoon update is Aideen Fittigan, podcast producer with the Irish Times and Ian O'Doherty, columnist uh, with the Irish Independent. You're both very welcome, folks. Happy New Year. Many happy returns to We're you. We're still Kurt. saying it. Yes, until when? Until, well, I think this weekend, but Ian is, today is his okay. cut off. So if you see Ian today, <laughs> wish him a happy new year. And after, after today, do not dare. Nobody ever wishes me a happy new year. <laughs> <laughs> um, Aideen, we might start with those CSO uh, stats I mentioned, this kind of numerical snapshot of the year. Now, there's a huge amount um, in it. Uh, the story of 2023 and numbers, what would you pick out? Yes, well, handily for me, my Irish Times colleague, Connor Pope, has done a great little um, deep dive into it and pulled out the kind of the top line things. Interestingly, the, it recorded a rate of inflation of 3.9% in November, the lowest rate recorded for more than two years. And that had fallen from a high of 8.5% in February. That's a big drop, but I I don't really feel like things are much cheaper. I, I, I presume a lot of people might be in the same boat. Um, also, energy prices fell. Um, there were the price of food and the cost of eating out in restaurants and staying hotels was a key contributor to inflation. And also, we had a the rate of employment hit 74.2% in the second quarter of this year. So that's April, May, June. And that is the highest point since the current series began in 25 years, so quarter of a century. So that's that's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. I think I think we'll... There's kind of there's plenty of good news in this, Ian, isn't there? There is. It's up and down, and I think the key word in your intro was relatively. Yes. Um, relatively speaking, employment up to seventy four percent. That's really good, but there's no breakdown of what kind of jobs they are, right? Which is the really important thing. Um, inflation's down, which is good. Uh, house prices are up which is good if you're selling and terrible if you're buying. Mm. Um, so when you're looking at these things, when you're looking at just bald stats, it's always more important to look at the human element, I find. And like, if things are meant to be cheaper, I'm not seeing that. And nobody I know is seeing that. And like the, the way I would put it down to is, like there's a, a, th- a think tank in England called the Institute for Happiness. And they say you judge a country by how content... Mm. the people are, right, and how well they get on. One of the things I've noticed is that I do a regular shop in my local Tesco and I get the same things all the time. Creature of habit. And, oh, very much so. But what I used to be able to tap my card for, now I have to put the card in. Oh, I see. It's above the 50 euro limit. Because it's gone above the 50 euro limit. That's interesting. And it, yeah. it, it's, it's kind of... Small little indicators like that. Yeah. Uh, that kind of are more real world impact than a bunch of CSO uh, stats. But I mean, I did find it was interesting that um, 30,500 Irish people emigrated last year, but something like 29,600 came back. Um, so basically, it means that 900 Irish people went to either Australia mm. or America or whatever. And I'd say that's probably the lowest number for quite some time. But it kind of it flies in the face a little bit of the narrative that you hear from some cohorts that, you know, that there's an entire generation desperate to leave the country. And as soon as we graduate, we're all leaving. Everyone in my class is leaving. Yeah. And 
and and I'm, I'm you know I'm sure when they say it they mean it because there's probably lots of conversations about leaving, but this would suggest that. Well, uh, well, if well, people are know, coming back, they have made their fortune leave. and they have maybe accrued the deposit. They, you know, they went to Dubai for maybe a couple of years, it, yeah. you know, and they're ready to come back. But it's interesting that the whole population discussion as well, because the, you know, we, it exceeded 5 million, the 5 million threshold for the first time in 171 years. And obviously things are just going to keep climbing and we're not seeing... Uh, there's a uh, Dave McWilliams writes an awful lot about this, about how we we are a rich country, but it feels poor because of our infrastructure. And you know why aren't we just building, building, building? And I hear Pat Kenny saying, you know, talking about you know underground, Dart Underground, and Metro North, and all that kind of stuff. The best time to build is now. It's never going to get any better. And I feel like if the population is increasing and we are not getting this increase in the infrastructure to match, this is feeding into this narrative, this whole, you know, this Ireland is full narrative that we, we that we're getting a lot of talk on on Twitter. I hear you discussing it a lot, Kieran. And um, I kind of think it, it, this whole 64 billion, the windfall from the corporate tax, I mean, that money is like, can we not just build? Can we not just be building something every time, every day, every month or something? Well, we going seem into... to be incapable of building things. Just we... look at the new children's hospital. Well, that's, well, see, this, you know, is, this I mean, is the flip side of it. And, and we need to get the Dutch in. The Dutch are the most efficient. Apparently, Apparently, I think um, Shane Keyes in The Currency was writing about this, that the people who do it for the best value are in Spain and Portugal. And these are not wealthy countries. And they manage to do it at 10% of the cost of, you know, the highest expenditure mm. on, on a metro. Well, I always remember there was a Dutch guy that I knew that I'd met in Romania. And he was known as Dutch Paddy because, <laughs> because he loved Ireland so much. <laughs> and he lived over here. And he said that... Uh, if the Dutch ran Ireland, they would be the richest country in the world. And if the Irish ran Holland, they'd drown. And that was, <laughs> that was his kind of take on how the different uh, nationalities approach various different things. Yeah, well, listen, we're going to come back to some of the aspects of, of uh, the CSO stats a little bit later in the show. Uh, Dan O'Brien is going to join me. John Fitzgerald as well, uh, kind of reading into the economic tea leaves uh, to a degree. Um, and we might put some of those issues uh, to him. We got mentioned there at the Children's Hospital and Aideen, uh, there's kind of a health related story today and it's the HSE, they've published the terms of reference for the investigation into the death of 16 year old Aoife Johnston. Just remind us what this is about. So Aoife Johnston, this is this devastating story that um, it happened last year on the 17th of December 2022 when Aoife's parents brought her to, to University Hospital Limerick. Uh, she wasn't seen in time and she she had turned out bacterial meningitis and she died of sepsis. And obviously UHL is um, infamous for its trolley numbers. It's overcrowding, all these kind of problems. So there was a systems analysis review that was um, released there a little while ago. But uh, sorry, a little while ago. Sorry, I'm I'm reading here as I do it. But it was um, just before Christmas, I think, that that broke, uh, I think, in the Sunday Independent. And... Now there is a retired Chief Justice, Frank Clark, um, in charge of an independent investigation into the death. And that will be evidence-based. Now, it's interesting that 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 is what they're saying. It's evidence-based. I wonder what the systems analysis review is if it's not evidence-based. But that's due to be concluded. The This independent inquiry is due to be concluded in eight weeks. But the systems analysis review found really, really shocking details about how, uh, you know, the sepsis management in adults wasn't followed on that uh, that day. Uh, one of the most damning things I thought that came out of that report was that there was little apparent understanding of the risks and inefficiencies caused to patient care by a crowded environment. 
Now, yeah. what medical professional would not understand that? I, I, I as a lay person, understand that that's... Yeah. Not- Ian, I'm, without wanting to prejudice uh, Chief Justice, former Chief Justice Frank Clark's independent review... Um, I mean, there's so many elements of this that there's the human tragedy yeah. of Aoife Johnson and her and her family. Um, there's also, I guess, the idea that most of us have that despite the problems they might have in UHI with overcrowding or any other hospital, we we all have this uh, um, uh, uh, suspicion or, or or belief that in a real emergency you'll skip to the head of the queue. Yeah, you know what I mean. That if things are if if you're in a real crisis. The system works. We will get you in. We will see you. This woman, this girl, and this woman, I say, she's 16. This girl, she had bacterial meningitis. We've we've had public awareness campaigns about that. Kind of, if your kid has bacterial meningitis, go straight to the emergency department and get seen. And the public service announcements on this have actually been very good. Um, It is impossible, if you have any morality or a heart, to read the story and not become infuriated Mm. at the missed opportunities to catch this. And the absolute needless death of a 16-year-old. Um, she ultimately died of sepsis. It wasn't, this isn't just a case of the woeful understaffing in UHL, which is prevalent across every hospital in the land. Um, as the SEO report pointed out, uh, some of the staff, they, they were just not up to the job. They were badly trained. They weren't competent. Um I really hope Frank Clark's report... Uh, now, nobody wants a head on a pike, you know what I mean? I'm not looking for vengeance or something mm. like that. But there needs to be a new system put in place where there is a specialist on call at all times for something like this. And by all accounts, bacterial meningitis, once it's properly diagnosed, you get the right antibiotics, you get this, you get them into triage, you do all the kind of things. It's treatable, right? It's an eminently treatable illness, and this wasn't treated. Yeah. Um, and I think to be in, like Adam was saying, we're a rich country, but to be in a rich country in 2023 and to see a 16-year-old Irish girl dying of a disease that normally only kills people in Africa because they don't have the right treatments for it. Well, I was going to say that there's actually an overlap between this and the previous conversation we had about the CSO and this idea of kind of private wealth and public squalor. It's one thing to die in a part of the world where the treatment isn't available or the systems yeah, aren't there. Exactly. It's quite another for it to happen when this was perfectly preventable. This shouldn't have happened here. And I feel, Kieran and Ian, you know, if you work in news, you will know that there's been a sense that something like this was bound to happen at some point. It feels like the overcrowding crisis has been building every year and it was only a matter of time before somebody was going to die and we were going to hear about it. There may be other cases like this that just don't manage to to come to public prominence. But it is so frightening that we could be so well off as a country and be so afraid of whether or not we are covered in a situation like poor Aoife Johnson. Well, how many elderly people have died unnecessarily? But Mm. because they're elderly, people don't pay as much attention. Because this was a young girl, she was 16, she was in full bloom of her life, she had her whole life ahead of her. And that's what really attracted the attention because everybody is a younger sister, everybody is a daughter, everybody could really relate and go, holy God, like if that was my kid and she just went in with, you know. Oh, how awful it must be for the parent to have done everything, to to have, yeah. have recognised the signs and symptoms of bacterial meningitis 
to have seen a doctor, to have taken the referral, gone to the emergency, done it all right. We're fu- we're actually we're doing what the public information the campaigns have told us, us to, to do. do, and then to hit a, a barrier that the same health systems have put in your yeah, way. Yeah, and like as I said, I mean, I'm always very reluctant to call for witch hunt and stuff like that. But I mean, or say, oh, heads must roll. It's too easy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but there were major system failures in this case that has now left a family destroyed and a young girl dead. And with Frank Clark, I mean, I was surprised that they put a deadline of eight weeks onto the investigation because that's actually, for official Ireland, that's unusually swift, um, which would imply that they really want to get this, they want to get above this story, get ahead of it. Um, He has a full remit to talk to absolutely anybody he wants because apparently two people refused to engage in the SAR report. Um, so now whether he can subpoena them or not, I don't know. But um, he seems to have been given, hopefully, uh, carte blanche to basically get to the bottom of this. And if he does, and Clark is a very competent jurist. Yeah. Um, and if he does get to the bottom of this, Normally the phrase, oh, lessons have been learned, is enough to drive you mad. <laughs> but, maybe, but, but maybe lessons will actually be learned. But if you were saying you don't want a head on a pike. And I, I agree, I don't like that culture of somebody, heads must roll. But we do not have a system of accountability. That's true. And yeah. nothing yeah. will change without accountability. Yeah. Well, Chief Justice Frank Clark, as Aidy said, is, is going to be carrying out uh, this review. Uh, the terms of reference published today, and as Ian says, uh, there's a... Eight week, eight week, eight week eight time week. limit uh, on it, so it won't be long before we do get some answers. We hope. Um, uh, elsewhere, Aideen, um uh, people would have woke up this morning to the news from southern Lebanon uh, that an Israeli drone attack had killed a senior uh, Hamas militant, along with several others in an apartment block um, in Beirut. Uh, but the consequence of this now is that there are fears of kind of we've been worried about escalation. Yeah. Uh, in and around that part of the world yeah. beyond the Gaza Strip for weeks now and now Unifil where you have several hundred Irish troops mm-hmm. um, uh, deployed uh, their warning of of an escalation in southern Lebanon. Yes and you know because we have seen this unbelievable I think it's a 22 I know the figures are disputed but on the Israeli and the Palestinian side but we're, we're looking at about 22,000 yeah. people dead which is an astonishing number of people that, that that hasn't brought about a sort of, um, you know, it feels like the pin was, I was going to use the pin comes out of the grenade, which is an absolutely terrible uh, analogy. No, but we, 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 we were, if, if this wasn't actually driving towards something, then it feels like this is the moment now where things, where world leaders are now going, okay, if we have this contagion in the region, this is where we need to pull out all the stops. You have a situation where the founder, a co-founder of the political wing of Hamas was taken out in Lebanon. The Israelis haven't confirmed it because they can't admit that they went after somebody outside their, the, you know, the sovereign territory or what have you. So so they're not acknowledging it, but it is like basically understood that it is the Israelis behind this targeted drone strike, which took them out. Then uh, at about half two today, there was reports of two explosions caused by terrorist attacks in Iran uh, at a ceremony to commemorate the commander, Qasim Soleimani, who was killed by a US drone in 2020. So there's definitely this uh, this feeling of a ramping up. And of course, that's going to have an impact because we will have the sabre rattling between South Lebanon and North than Israel where there has been rockets fired into to, to Israel and Hamas saying they have their finger on their trigger it, that you know Aruri's death won't go unresponded uh, to 
and we're waiting to find out mm. what happens next. Well, I have to say, um, as somebody who's spent time in the northern border with Evan, and as somebody who was caught in the street during a Hezbollah uh, missile attack, and you haven't lived until you found yourself on your knees and you're getting sick because the the the, the Kassam rockets took all the air out. Um, mm. It's a remarkably exhilarating experience, funny enough. Um, but the bombing at the Soleimani Memorial today, that's not really Israeli style. They tend to do more targeted attacks. Um, and oh, have... I, I wasn't sorry. I, I shouldn't say I wasn't suggesting the Israelis were in charge of okay, that. But okay, okay. You can definitely yeah. sense that um, Iran are calling a terrorist. Attack. What I would also suggest is that when I first heard about the attack in Beirut, my first response was good. You deserved it. And then the second response is, I really hope they know what they're doing mm-hmm. because this is now amping things up. But the problem is that the Israelis face is what are they meant to do? I mean, there's one Israeli ambassador that I know and she said they only like Jews when we're dead, right? Um, and that didn't even extend now as far as October the 7th. And I I went to see the screening of the video, you know, this infamous video mm. um, that the Hamas fighters recorded of themselves. And it's a home movie from hell. And I got home and I got sick and physically sick. And if I was Israeli, I would have wanted to turn Gaza into a car park. And my take would be, now there's a lot of Israeli peace activists who are trying to put the brakes on things. Um, My take would be, release the hostages. Release the hostages. And then we'll stop pounding you. Because the thing is, the Israelis are going to have to accept that they're not going to, they can take as many heads off the snake as they want, but they're not getting rid of Hamas. Not as long as Iran is funding them. But the blame I would put for the 22,000 civilians' deaths, civilian deaths, is on Hamas. And Entirely? Talk, yeah, absolutely. You talk to any Israeli person, and I have Palestinian Arab friends who live in Tel Aviv. I spent quite a bit of time in Tel Aviv. And they say the difference is Hamas hide behind their children while the IDF stand in front of theirs. Hamas wanted this. Hamas knew exactly that the Israelis were going to go absolutely nuts. And that's why they're still holding on. And that's why they're winning the PR battle. And that's why they're not letting the hostages go. And then here's the thing, Kieran, right? And this is something that terrifies me. I can see there being a Kristallnacht in Europe this year. Right. Um, The hate marches, the anti-Semitism in London, up 1,350%. There's 50 attacks on Jewish people and buildings every day in London alone. And that started before the Israeli response. And this is a story that nobody seems to care about. Right. We are witnessing the greatest atrocities against Jewish people since the Holocaust. We yeah, had the, we're also seeing a genocide of a Palestinian. It's not genocide, it's a, it's a war. Genocide. It's, it's a not war. A, how is it a war? Because they're still launching. There are children. There are 42% still, that are children. Because they're still launching there missiles. Are, what have children got to do with Hamas? What have the Israeli children in Shrat who've been killed? And maybe, it's ha- not, it's, ma- maybe Hamas should stop using kids they absolutely as should. human shields. They absolutely should. This is, not, uh, this is not Hamas are the good guys and the Israeli are the bad guys. These well, are, that actually these tends are, to be the narrative. These are bad people. They're not bad people. The Israelis are not bad people. Are you kidding? Are you are you kidding that you could actually? They've, they've even shot their own hostages. They've yeah, even, that, they, that they didn't even. They didn't even 
if they can shoot their own hostages who were stripped to show that they weren't armed and waving white flags, if they could shoot their own... Like, yeah, it was a, a mistake. Was a but mistake. imagine what they're doing to Palestinian Aideen, people. will you listen to me? That was a mistake of what's known as the Hannibal Protocol. Okay. Right. All right. Which and... is basically to stop other Israelis getting harmed. If you're a soldier, for example, like Galid Shalat, who was kidnapped, mm. right? If they see you, you know that if you go in, if you're kidnapped and you're put into a jeep, an IDF helicopter is going to take out the jeep and it will take out you as well. And it's to stop you being tortured. What happened to those two Israeli hostages who were released? That's the fog of war, right? And also because they were going under the Hannibal Protocol. Listen to the stories of the hostages who have been released and listen to the barbarism of these savages. That is without question. Savages. I don't think, is, I don't think men, question. I just certainly don't think Aideen would disagree with any of that. Well, there you go then. Yeah, but I'll make it a fair point. Yeah, but I, I, I think the argument is that that doesn't excuse the IDF tactics. What are they meant to do, Kieran? What are they Not meant to do? Kill children. There are but when Hamas are hiding. There's but it is is Israel doing it? But a Hamas are there's, hiding there's, and Israel are not going about it another footage. way. They there's, are bombing. They are bomb- there are footage. women having caesareans without anaesthetic. Yeah, and nobody wants dirty to see that. Nobody wants to see that. But, but Ian, but, what, what, what they were meant to do, arguably, since October 7th, is what they're going to do from now on, which is much more precise bombing. And the fact that they are capable of switching to that tactic now? Is that not an implicit admission that that could have been the tactic they pursued up until now, but actually they decided to collectively punish the civilians no, the, within there Gaza? Of, there were a lot of mistakes made in how the IDF prosecuted this campaign. Yeah. Right. Uh, nobody's going to deny that. And we were talking earlier about nobody wants to see heads on spikes and things about the uh, HSE. There's going to be an awful lot of IDF generals who find themselves out of work when this is over, right? There's going to be a big reckoning on that. Um, But one of the things I find is that people just walk into this incredibly lazy narrative of either through ignorance or malice or anti-Semitism that Hamas traditionally used the civilian population of Gaza as human shields and sometimes the Israelis lose their patience and go way over the top. But for that, I would put the moral blame on Hamas, Fine. not on the idea. Aideen Finnegan, <laughs> podcast producer at the Irish Times, Ian O'Doherty, columnist at the Irish Independent. Unfortunately, listen, uh, we're out of time. We didn't even get to talk about the darts. We'll ah. have to talk about the darts uh, the next time you're in. We'll talk about them a little bit later in the show uh, anyway. I know people will be watching the darts tonight. Uh, is it a sport or is it a game, Ian? It's a sport. You don't have to change your shoes, though. My brother has a rule. If you don't change your shoes, it's a game. Not a I don't sport. have to change my shoes <laughs> when I'm playing tennis. But I mean, it's still a sport. Aideen and Ian, listen, thank you both very much uh, for joining me here on the show. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.